There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Bring, bring it bring it to the bank. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, guys. I'm Jim. I'm a Leicester City fan, and this week on the EPL Roundtable to uh, represent England um, ahead of our Euro 2016 vital crunch match against Slovakia. Hi, I'm Jamie. I'm also here to talk about England, and I'm also a Burnley fan. I host the Known and Ever podcast about Burnley. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Obviously, a huge day for England. You get three points, puts you on four, pretty much guarantees you a spot in the next round. It's against neighbours Wales. Talk us through that match. It didn't start very well. Um, that's the, probably the first it point. Sure Actually, it didn't. <laughs> it probably wasn't that bad in... It was very much in the same mould as the Russia game, where I think we dominated large portions of the first half um, and then got sucker punched by a Gareth Bale free kick uh, not long before the half-time interval. I just think we we lack... The, the way that Roy Hodgson set the team up today to start with, we lacked a certain incision um, which and a potency up front that we had um, after half-time. But yeah, I think hopefully... That this has shown him that that's the end of the um, kind of Lalana Sterling Kane three pronged attacking trident. Um, because although they were creating chances, they never really thought they were that clear cut. It was all very much kind of around the edges. There was no one willing to kind of directly run at a central defence. It's all kind of down the sides, putting balls into the area, and you know Ashley Williams and you know the, the Welsh defence with a with a, a flat back three are more than happy to head those away ninety nine percent of the time. So you're going to uh, have to do pretty well to get past them, judging by that kind of approach. Yeah, I think it it, it was a strange one. I I think a lot of fans wanted to see changes after the Russia game, but I said on, on Sunday's podcast that I was quite happy with the same 11. I think you've got to show a bit of loyalty and give players a chance, but there's no doubt Sterling's struggling at the minute. It looks very low on confidence. Um, and the early chance was obviously a golden chance. He, he really has to be putting it that way, and he seemed to shrink into his shell even more after that. Um, I think Kane just looks knackered. Like he doesn't seem to be moving well at all. I think he probably needs to drop out as well. And Lallana's not really done it either. So the front three could all drop out. I think the the positive thing was that Hodgson really went for it. He's got this reputation that I think is unfair of being overly cautious, but. Put two strikers on at half time, and then even after getting equalised, put another striker on. So he'd used all five of his strikers with obviously Rudy playing in midfield, and that was incredibly bold. And although it was a bit of a case of just throwing strikers on the pitch and seeing what happened, it it came up with a winner in the end. I mean, Jim's right about the way that England played as well. There was far too many crossing into the box. It was like watching Man United under David Moyes just 
running towards 30 yards out, then put crosses into the box. But no, we don't really have anyone who's going to win those balls in the air. Kane's not that great in the air. And I think the goal, it came from playing a 1-2 and making a dart into the box, which was probably the first time we'd, we'd tried that sort of plan. So hopefully we'll see a bit more movement around the box. I think England need to move the ball faster, um, especially early in the second half. We saw a bit more life in the, the passing and the movement, but it seems to be a bit stale. There's a lot of getting 30 yards out and the the opposition are organised and then some, whoever's got the ball just stops and looks around as if to say, I don't know what to do now. You've got to keep it moving and keep working, working the space and waiting for the opening and we don't seem to be able to do that. So, yeah, I'm with Jim. I think there will be changes for, for the next game and I think that has to happen. One that I'd look at, actually, is uh, maybe Deli Ali dropping out. I don't think he's had much of an impact on the tournament. I think Jack Wilshere would probably be an improvement. I think what Jamie's saying in terms of like the defensive organisation of, of Wales today, you can kind of apply that to quite a lot of the games that have happened um, so far in the tournament. You know, We're kind of getting towards halfway through match day two now, I guess. Um, and... You know, a lot of the teams haven't been outclassed in that massive kind of gulf that some people would have expected. Uh, you look at France um, against Albania; they kind of held out to the 90th minute, almost rushing, nearly got a point off France as well. Um, Spain needed a, a last gas equaliser to beat the Czechs. You know, I think a lot of international teams have cottoned on to the fact that actually it, it, there's not that much wrong in the first or second game with parking the bus a little bit, playing a lot of defensive football and trying to nick a goal. Um, because two points or even a point, you're still very much in it if you've managed to win your last game. So if you've got a conceivably you know, winnable last game, there's, there's plenty of value potentially in not going for broke and leaving yourself bottom after two games, taking a point into that last game and trying to just kind of leave it all on that one match. Um, so I think you know, that will continue and the, 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 the challenge for a lot of the, the quote-unquote to teams is to find a way to, to break those defences down. And like Jamie says, a lot of it is about the speed of which they move the ball because if you're going to be slow and ponderous around the edge of the area, teams are going to be able to cope with that. Yeah, yeah. I, think I was I was really disappointed with, with with Wales, actually. I thought that given they'd won their first game and played quite well and created quite a lot of chances, that we'd see more of them in an attacking sense. But they certainly seem to be playing for, for a draw. I mean, as, as tactical plans go, just defending like mad and hoping Gareth Bale scores a free kick. It's worked quite well for them, to be honest. <laughs> but I don't know how far they're going to go in the tournament doing that and hoping goalkeepers probably doesn't, probably dive doesn't out of the way. Probably doesn't beat better teams, does it? No, exactly. So I think, um, although England weren't at their best again today, I think it's fair. The performance was probably about on a par with the Russia game. I think it's only fair that England won the game because Wales showed very little interest in trying to win it especially after England had got the equaliser, Wales were just sitting deeper and deeper and deeper. And a goal was inevitable, really, with all that attacking talent on the pitch. Yeah, the Bale goal obviously was their first goal of the day. It was a well-struck free kick. Some people blaming Joe Hart for not saving it. This also happened with the first Bale free kick in this tournament that went for a goal. Uh, Scott saying that uh, if it was an English player, they would have mentioned how much uh, movement there was on the ball instead of just saying that it automatically should have been a save. Uh, from the English perspective, do you think that Joe Hart should have done better there or do you think it was just a well-struck ball and it was just an unfortunate uh, occurrence? Um, I think it's a slightly different question to the one um, he scored in the first game. I think the, the one in the first game, the keeper tries to second-guess where Bale's going to go. 
Um, I think he puts his wall where he thinks he's going to go and then decides to go over that side anyway. And Bale kind of calls his bluff by hitting it almost straight at where he was standing before he took the step to the wrong direction, which beats him. Um, and he does get a, a paw to it, but it doesn't kind of keep it out. Um, Joe Hart's one, I think, is worse in a sense that he has got a better view of it coming. And it's kind of his wrist strength that just fails him at that vital moment because he gets a good palm to it. Um, but just can't seem to push it um, around the post. I don't think it's the, the worst goalkeeping howler you know, ever, but I think for a top-class goalkeeper who has ambitions to win the Champions League with Manchester City, you would expect him to save that fairly routinely you know, in any other setting. Yeah, I agree. I think um, one of the problems is that Bale's obviously got, certainly at international level, he's got a reputation for free kicks, so I think goalkeepers are well aware of that and Jim's exactly right. The, the the goalkeeper in the first game, the Slovakia goalkeeper, he's tried to guess where Bale's going to put it. I think Hart's problem was that he just he just he seemed to misjudge it. The ball did move a lot. I saw some comments. Um, obviously, I'm a Burnley fan, and Tom Heaton's the third choice goalkeeper. So a lot of people saying Tom Heaton would have saved that, which he might have, he might not. But um, there were also people saying, "Oh, it was straight at him." Well, yes, it was straight at him, but then it dipped and it swerved. Which is why he didn't save it. If it had been, if it had just carried on going straight, it would have hit him. But he's he's sort of not dived enough in the end because of how far the ball was moved. So yeah, he absolutely should save it. But realistically, the the, the amount of movement Bale's getting on the ball, and I think we've seen it in other games as well. Eric Dyer's free kick, even that that moved not a great amount, and the goalkeeper probably should have saved it. So I don't know whether it's goalkeeping standards. I don't know if it's um, something with the ball that means it's moving late, so it's it's hard to see. I, I don't know what it is, but there seems to be a lot of goalkeepers misjudging the fight of the ball. I think the thing with Bale as well now is that goalkeepers are going to be so scared of anything, kind of 40 yards or, or less, um, that he's just going to shoot. And I think... That I think part of that was playing on Joe Hart's mind today. You know, I think if Bale hasn't smashed one in for Wales in the uh, in the first game against Slovakia, maybe he kind of doesn't worry quite so much about it. But I think you end up second guessing yourself almost um, with your position and where you need to be, and especially because you know you've got that kind of Ronaldo approach where the ball does dip and swerve. I think the goalkeepers end up beating themselves half the time as much as the free kicks are well struck. I think part of it is is getting into the minds of the goalkeepers a little bit. It's kind of giving them the eyes, yeah, the equivalent yeah, of a penalty. Um, and, you know, you hit it so hard, it could literally go anywhere. And then the keeper's panicking because the, the wall, in a sense, isn't actually making any difference then. Because um, yeah, you know, it's completely it's the other way. An interesting point about the wall, actually. The Slovakia one, I think you're right. The wall was in the wrong place. And then the goalkeeper tried to cover behind the wall. He, he hadn't organised it properly. But the one against England, it's so far out, you, you Probably better not having a wall. One of the pundits on, on TV, I think it was John Hartson, former Wales International, said that if you don't have a wall there and just say, right, you're 40 yards out, beat me, what are the chances of Bale being able to do that? But having the wall, it's an extra distraction. Maybe he doesn't see the balls early because I think the ball came over the wall and dipped, didn't it? So he sees it a little bit later. Maybe that's decisive. I just think once you get further than sort of 35 yards out, if you don't have that wall, you've got a clear sight, clearer sight of the ball and you've got more time to react, I think. I don't know why you're setting up a wall when the ball's so far away. 
I think what they're worried about is the kind of pinball effect of not having a wall. So at least if you have that bank of players that are out of the way, they're in one place. Whereas if you kind of set up a, a free kick like you would a corner and you just got, you know, what, 14 men potentially um, in the in the box and Bale hammers a free kick in like that, it could literally go anywhere. And I think goalkeepers are more worried about that than they are about committing three or four men to a wall, even when the free kick's 40 yards out, mm. which, you know, I yeah. don't know. You could oh, see the logic in that as well, but also by the same token, like you say, 40 yards, the better view you have of it. Um, because the first, But the thing is, the first thing I'd do if I was an opposition coach is tell them, right, if they don't make a wall, go and stand on the goalkeeper so he can't see mm. where you're hitting it and then just get well, in the way. They'd be offside then, wouldn't they? Well, yeah, but you've seen players do it where they're kind of like in the way, but not, and they move out of the way to the point yeah. where you're still kind of obstructing the goalkeeper's vision. You might be able to get away with it once or twice. I don't think it'd be a regular thing. Refs would cut onto it pretty quick, but it's just the kind of, yeah, I suppose it's, you know, it's six of one, half a dozen of the other, to use a very English expression in that you kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't, because the first thing that everyone's going to say is if Bale beats you from a free kick where you haven't had a wall, the first thing people are going to beat you around Why the head didn't with you have a wall? You haven't had a wall. Yeah. What if so, we split the difference? You know. Two-man wall, men on either post. Yeah. Yeah, something like that could potentially be <laughs> a good knows? outcome. Basically, we don't know because Bale is a wizard. He's real good. That's, anywhere. That's the breakdown. All right, well, let's uh, stop talking about Wales and start talking about England. You mentioned the beginning, not as uh, hot a start as you would have liked. Uh, a lot of Spurs uh, fans are getting inundated with messages about how this is all Spurs' fault and how awful they are. Uh, my quick breakdown, which I said on Twitter, is that Kane was disappointing, Ali was trying too hard, Dyer is very good in defense, Rose was good, and Walker was terrific, ends up winning man of the match. I, I agree with you. I think Ali could be dropped. I think Kane should be dropped. It's just not working in, in the current setup right now. Uh, but who... Outside of those guys, or including those guys, I suppose, uh, most impressed and disappointed for you today? I was really impressed with this. Is going to sound quite biased, but I was quite impressed with Jamie Vardy when he came on. He didn't actually do, he didn't, I think he only had seven touches, but what he did was he ran a lot more directly um, into the spaces that Harry Kane wasn't occupying um, in the first half. And what that does is kind of drags men away and creates space. He also had a bit of a, not an assist, but I think he touched the ball before. Uh, the ball was flicked to storage for the winner as well. So I thought he did his job quite well, just kind of playing through the middle and, and being that striker that we know he can be. Um, other than that, I don't know, Chris Smalling was average, I guess. Um, he was relatively OK. I, I wouldn't say any better than that. I don't think anyone massively blew me away, to be honest, it, from the England perspective. Uh, outside of the Spurs lads, I thought the fullbacks have been extremely good. Um, I think Walker and Rose have probably been our best two players over the course of the two games. Um, and I think as much as we kind of moaned about the lack of um, incisive movement it kind of going into the box and the fact that we're just lumping crosses, they are actually doing a half-decent job at that. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't disagree uh, with the assessment on that. It's more just, you know, through the centre of the park. I thought Rudy was relatively good actually today. Um, my worry is that he hasn't actually been tested that much in that position at international level yet. It's fine strolling around when you've got teams sitting off you and, you know, parking the bus 25 yards from their own line. Um, it's going to be a slightly different kettle of fish when you've got a, a team that are going to high press and put pressure on the ball in midfield because I'm not sure he's quick enough to deal with that kind of pace of the game in central midfield anymore. But I suppose you can't you can't use that as a stick to beat him with until you've seen him um, take up the position himself. 
Yeah, I, th- I thought Rooney played quite well. Obviously, he's given away the free kick that Bale scored from, but it's so far out, I don't think you can say, oh, you shouldn't be giving away free kicks there because it's almost in his own half where he's hitting from. Um, echo what you say about Walker as well. I'd have actually gone with Klein over Walker, I think. But Walker has been quite good. I think the delivery from the fullbacks does need to be a bit better because they're getting so many crosses into the box, but they're just not very dangerous. Um <laughs> I can't be as biased as, as Jim, unfortunately, because Tom Heaton did even less in the game than Jamie Vardy. No touches, <laughs> actually, for Tom Heaton. So I can't really pick him out. Um, but I thought Marcus Rashford was fantastic. He just plays with no fear at all, Rashford. He takes on players. He's happy to try tricks. Like England, we just don't seem to have that. And the contrast, he was sort of playing off the left flank basically the same position Sterling was in the first half. And the contrast between the confidence levels was just extraordinary, the way Rashford seems to think he can do everything. And at the moment, Sterling doesn't seem to think he can do anything. So I'd almost think there's a, a case for, for Rashford starting the next game, just to have that youth and exuberance in the starting lineup. But I, I do think um, Hodgson will go with Sturridge and Vardy and maybe try the split striker thing again. Um, in terms of disappointments... Obviously, Sterling wasn't really at it. Lallana, I don't think, was particularly good, although he created that chance for Sterling at the start. Just the obvious ones, I suppose. And like I've mentioned, Deli Ali, I think the, the tournament was passing him by a little bit. There was so much expectation on what he was going to do as a young player who'd exported onto the scene in the last year at Spurs, but it's just not really happening for him. He's obviously not completely comfortable in the system with having to maybe do a bit more defensive work. Also a tiny bit concerned about his temperament. There was a bit of a flashpoint with Aaron Ramsey earlier in the game. And I think teams will target Ali knowing that they can wind him up a little bit. And I'd be a bit concerned about that if, for example, we played someone like Portugal in the knockout round where they'd have someone like Pepe who's just constantly on at Delhi Ali trying to get him sent off. So I think that's possible. And like I said earlier, I'd, I'd be considering Jack Wilshere into the midfield. Yeah, I think that's an excellent shout Now we'll go from the micro to the macro and look at Group B as it stands. England on four points, Slovakia and Wales each on three, Russia on one. Now looking, like I said earlier, incredibly likely, uh, almost nearly impossible, almost, uh, for you to not advance uh, from here. What what are your expectations now going forward, Uh, especially based off of what we've already seen looking throughout the tournament? what, What do you think your chances are overall? I'm still relatively pessimistic because I'm an England fan and I've grown up watching us um, be awful at tournaments, either not making it out of the group or kind of getting knocked out in in the early knockout stages um, of the majority. So I'm still yet to be convinced that we can go kind of really deep into the tournament from that sense. Um, But I do think there are encouraging signs there. It's obviously a bit worrying that Hodgson has come into this tournament not knowing what his best 11 is or thinking his best 11 is one thing and being proved very clearly wrong um, on the evidence of today's first half. Um, I don't know what Sterling is doing in training to convince him that he's worth a starting spot, but hopefully he kind of gets his his head around that idea um, quite swiftly. But yeah, you know, saying that, Looking at the, the rest of the, the big teams, or the, the ones certainly at the top of like the bookmakers' markets and stuff, I don't think anyone's particularly blown people away. Um, as I mentioned earlier, France have really laboured and they're, you know, they're the favourites. Germany, we see them play Poland later on, but um, they weren't kind of too convincing against Ukraine. They did win 2-0, but you know, scored literally with pretty much the last kick of the game from Schweinsteiger and 
were it not for Jerome Boateng and his ridiculous goal line clearance, of which there have been a couple of really good ones actually so far this tournament, um, they could have easily, you know, not won that game as well. So maybe in that sense it's open because no one's really that force to be reckoned with. Um and you know, Spain don't have that air of invincibility about them anymore, um, struggling to find a, a combination striker that, that fits with their system. So yeah, you know, it, it depends. It's kind of a glass half full, glass half empty situation. If you look at it from the England perspective purely, you can kind of be pessimistic about it um based on what we've seen before and the, the situation at the moment. But if you look at it from an overall point of view, there's probably no team in there that you're really fearing in the knockout stages because no one yet has shown a, a huge kind of um, laid down a real big marker um, where other teams are sitting up and looking and saying, oh, I've, I really don't want to get those in the in the quarterfinals or the last 16. Yeah, I think um, partly with the, the expanded format, it's obviously quite a long tournament now, so I don't think you necessarily want to be blowing teams away at this stage because then to maintain that level for three or four weeks, I think it's going to be quite tough. Um, as far as England go, I think it, it pretty much depends who we get in the next round. I, I would expect us to probably win the group from here. I think Wales against Russia's tight. Wales will fancy themselves, but that could be a draw, which would mean a draw against Slovakia would be good enough for England, but England should be looking to beat Slovakia anyway and make sure that they finish top. Um, but yeah, I think it's tough. There, there was quite a lot of positivity, I think, about the fact there were so many young players in and around the team. Um, but the fact that Kane's not really fired, Sterling's not done very well, um, it's now likely to revert back to the, the face that maybe we've not seen much of at international level, but players like Sterling, um, Storage, sorry, Storage and Vardy have been around for a long time. Maybe they'll come into the side. So it's going to be different, I think. But Overall, probably the expectation is that England will lose to the first good team they play. That seems to be what normally happens at the European Championships. So whoever we get in the quarterfinals, maybe I think quarterfinals is quite realistic if we get a reasonable draw in the second round. But going on to, to win it or get to the final, I think that's unrealistic. I think there's better teams in the tournament. I think Italy will either going to be hard to beat. Germany always seems to be there or thereabouts. Spain are a good side as well. Obviously, they've defending champions although they struggled a bit in the first game so I think the the traditional powerhouses are going to come good in the end and England would probably be quarter-finalists at best. One thing I think does help us is the fact that because it the expanded tournament um, but there's only the the same the kind of six groups it really is slanted towards the teams in the the, the first few groups because um, you like, for example, if England do win Group B, you're going to get a third place team, um, whereas the teams down the bottom end, so kind of a Belgium um, or a Portugal, perhaps, are probably going to get a, a runner-up. So in that sense, if you look at it as over the three games, the best teams are going to finish first, second, and third, then you, you're definitely at an advantage being in groups A, B. Um, and the like, where you're going to get a third place team. So in that sense, I think England could get a relatively kind. Um, last 16 draw which I suppose gives you another game to to work out any kinks in the team and get a bit more confidence flowing and then who knows you know never know uh, what might happen in in the last eight but I agree with Jamie that you know when we do come up against a, a better team that are well organised and we're not going to be able to just 
kind of muscle our way past like we did today a little bit in the in the end it was just kind of brute force from storage to literally run through the central defense knocking people out of his way and poking one in at the near post i do think we'll kind of come up short yeah you mentioned there if if you do have an easier match you can try to work out the kinks which is interesting hodgson obviously after the match said that he's going to look at changing the side uh before the next match if you're going into these into the deeper runs uh, in the tournament if you do make it that far. Would you rather see the team still shifting a little bit to deal with the threat, or would you rather just play like an established 11 and hope that the chemistry would kind of carry you through? I'm not sure you can necessarily adapt to your team in every game to, um, to, to the opposition. Um, I do kind of see sometimes you'll look at different threats. And, you know, for example, Northern Ireland um, team are a lot more more attacking. They basically played three six zero against Poland and lost one nil. Barely had a you know a kick and changed it up against Ukraine. Played and won two nil, which is obviously a fantastic result for them. Um, I think uh, as one of the the better sides in the competition, it's better, particularly in England situation, to get that consistency and that kind of team chemistry um, going. I know a lot of the lads do play for you know Spurs, but if we make that change where we do drop Deli Ali. And Harry Kane, for example, um, that just leaves you with Eric Dyer and the two fullbacks. Um, so I think it's more important to, to get that chemistry going within our team rather than worrying too much about what other teams are doing. Um, it's slightly different in a longer league format where you can make those little tweaks and you've got a kind of established group of players. But here, where you've only really been training together for a few weeks and had a couple of friendlies to warm up, I'd rather kind of worry about our team rather than worrying about someone else's. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, I, I agree with Jim. I think you do have to think about the fitness as well, though. It's, like I said, uh, so the last question is a, a longer tournament than usual. You're looking at six, seven games to, to go on and win it. So at some point, you're probably going to have to give players a rest. Um, maybe you'll even think about that for the Slacky game. I don't know if you'd see that as an opportunity for a couple of players to sit it out 
assuming that we are already into the next round, maybe someone like Rooney could benefit from from the rest. I don't know. I think um, it's difficult. The point about your strongest side, I, I think most of the country seems to be in the same boat as well. It's it's unusual, I think, to have an eleven um, that is almost set in stone, and then that eleven plays throughout the tournament, fitness and suspensions permitting. I, I don't think that seems to happen at major tournaments anyway. And also, I think partly the fact that England's qualifying group was so easy, and England won all the games. There was no, there was no test in there to see, to see if the team was going to be good enough. It was just good enough for that level. But the finals is obviously a level or two above. It's totally different, and we've seen already that it's not working quite the same way. So I think changes are inevitable in in terms of team selection and uh, maybe tactically as well. But I think. The benefit of this England team is that they seem to be more flexible than any England team I can certainly remember. The fact that we've played played four three three in the first two games, but we played in the we played a diamond in midfield quite a lot in the warm ups. We used the diamond throughout qualifying as well. So there's there's the option to shift between those formations during games as well, and I think we did that a little bit in the in the Russia match. So I think that was the benefit, but. I think there will be more changes than people perhaps expect just because it's difficult to stick with the same 11 all the way through. Yeah, all right. Well, then applying your guys' opinions on that, how do you think you'll set up uh, in your last match in this group against Slovakia? Uh, Do you think there'll be any changes in tactics or personnel? I would like to see him start something similar to how we started the second half today, um, purely because I think the, the players that he changed... Um, the likes of Sturridge and, and Vardy. Vardy's obviously not played that much um, in the run-up to the tournament in terms of England. Like He missed one of the games for his wedding um, and is kind of just sat on the bench for the first game completely. So, you know, and he can run forever. I don't think the fatigue thing's a massive issue with him like it would be with, say, Deli Ali, who's a bit younger. And I think he's had a long, hard season with the Europa League and stuff with Spurs. So he's probably on his, his last legs on, in that regard. Kane as well. Um, so I'd like to see a setup kind of like we did in the second half today. If, if he did start Rashford, I think that'd be you know a fantastic kind of show of aggression, really, um, because I think that's our strength. I think for all the talk coming into the tournament was about how we were going to have to outscore teams because we weren't going to keep clean sheets, and that's kind of been borne out in the first two games where we haven't managed to keep clean sheets, even though Russia didn't really create that much. We still managed to concede at the very end, um, despite dominating the game. So it's important, I think, that he, you know, makes his mind up early. And I guess we kind of train using that system um, for the next couple of days rather than differing with with different ideas um, so that everyone can get their heads around what's happening. I'd like to see him go 4-3-3 against the Slovakians. I think, you know, they're a relatively good team um, from from what I saw against Russia. Um, But then are Russia that good of a litmus test? I guess they're, you know, it's similar to Wales in a sense that you've got a very limited squad with a couple of good players and very, very good player in their ranks in terms of Hamsik. Um, obviously not quite on the same level as Bale, but I think there's certainly parallels there. Um, so I wouldn't be against kind of taking a or, you know a quite rotated view with with the fact that we've got four points and we should be through to the next round. But then I think Hodgson worries slightly about that because if you don't win that game and you end up not topping the group, what kind of knock-on effect that has further on down the line? Yeah, I agree. I, I I would probably rest more players than Hodgson will. I think there'll be changes in the front line. Certainly, Sturridge and Vardy, I expect to start. 
I'd I'd love to see Rashford in there as well. You could change the whole the whole attack for me with the three substitutes that came on today. Um, Wilshire for Ali will be the change I'd make as well. I wouldn't be surprised if we went back to the diamond, which would mean Sturridge and Vardy up front, Rooney in behind, then maybe um, Wilshire in midfield with Dyer protecting. I think that that's another option. Um, but Hodgson's unpredictable. I think that the cautious Roy myth has firmly been put to bed today with the attacking chains you made at half time, putting Rashford on as well. So it could surprise us all. It could be something that no one's even even suggested yet. He's very experienced. He's worked in a lot of different leagues. He's obviously got a range of formations that he's happy to use. I think there's more tactical flexibility in the players than maybe we've had in recent years where t- a lot of teams have played 4-4-2 in the Premier League, for example. We don't have to do that anymore because there's a lot more flexibility around the top league. So I think it, it could be a surprise. I think the the diamond is maybe the more likely one with the four three three not having worked as as predicted in the first two games. But I think we'll just have to wait and see really. Hodgson seems to have it in his mind that he's gonna gamble during the tournament, which could make England very exciting to watch. Alright, and if I had to press both of you for a score? I think we've got enough about us to beat um, Slovakia. I'd probably say 2-1 again, because, I, again, I can't see us keeping them out, but I can see us outscoring teams like that um, fairly regularly. If we manage to dominate the game like we have done against Russia and, and Wales, I think we'll be able to nick a win still. Yeah, I agree. I think um, Slovakia will probably score. I think Hampshire will find something or create something for somebody else. But I think England should have enough going forward, especially if he goes for... Uh, Sturridge and Vardy up front who will be full of confidence after scoring today so I think 2-1's a fair suggestion I can't see England winning more comfortably than that but also I think it's it's very possible that we end up getting bogged down again and just end up drawing one all, which I think would probably suit Slovakia as well because that would make sure that they go through to the next round Alright so that means both of you think uh, England will win the group which would obviously put you on 7 points, how do you think the rest of the group will shake out? I can see uh, Wales beating Russia. Um, I think after they lost to uh, Slovakia yesterday, as we recorded, uh, you know they have still got an outside chance as of all the teams after two games. You know, if you win your last game, there is still a chance you can get through. I just think that if if Chris Coleman plays it right, then they can really. I think you know Slovakia put the blueprint down for how to beat Russia yesterday. They managed to get in behind them on several occasions. Um, you know, they played the long balls, uh, the long diagonal balls over the top. But instead of doing it like we did and just humping it out of play, they, you know, they were playing relatively accurate long balls. Um, I think you can see that from the first goal uh, where, you know, Visa's got in behind the defence. The defenders have uh, are that slow um, to turn. They're physically running off the touchline as he's slotting it past the keeper because he sold them a dummy just by cutting the ball back with, you know, flicking it back inside. Um, so I think with the likes of Bale, um, and Ramsey kind of driving forward. If he, I thought Robson Carney was quite good as well for the first half today, especially he's a decent target man. So if they want to use him as a bit of a foil for Bale, I guess they could use him um, to bounce balls off for Bale and flick on. Then I think they'll, I think they'll beat um, Slovakia, and, and, and that would put them into second. So uh, sorry, they'll beat Russia, and that will put them into second. So yeah, I can see that happening if England uh, can beat Slovakia, and then I guess it's down to whether. Slovakia have got enough points then to um, to, to come through the group in third. Yeah, I don't really know what to make of Wales because I think 
I think Coleman's maybe more likely to be defensive and, and think that a draw would certainly take them through because they'd have five points. So I don't know if they'd go for it as much as maybe they should do. I think if if he watched the Northern Ireland game and saw how they um, really went for it against an opponent that they thought they could beat, I think that would be more likely to get them the win than playing the same sort of tactics they have in the first two games where they're basically hoping build or something special to get them out of trouble. He can't do that every game. Like He's a fantastic player, but they can't just be relying on Bale to do something brilliant every single game because he's not going to do it every single game. So I would hope that they change it up and and try and really put pressure on Russia because, as Jim says, they're a team that can be beaten. Um, but I also wouldn't be that surprised if Russia playing for pride, managed to produce something better than they have so far. So I think that could be a draw, um, which would probably mean Slovakia go through on the third place thing. I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of shaking out to do with the remaining groups. I think Wales will make sure they go through, but I don't know if they'll beat Russia. I could see Wales being a bit more defensive if they'd got a draw today. Um I think I think then like that five point marker is kind of ideal for second place, I guess. Um, Whereas because they're now stuck on three, you know, if you do get done by a sucker punch like Russia's sucker punch does in the last few minutes, you then finish in third and you, you know, you're still not necessarily through. Um, So hopefully, I mean, for the good of the tournament and for entertainment purposes, I think everyone wants to see teams at their attacking best where possible. So hopefully they, they do kind of go into that game looking at, the way that England and Slovakia have approached it and say, right, this is how we get at Russia. Because, you know, they can easily be got at. And I think, you know, if they finish bottom, that'd be, it'd be you know, what they deserve based on the, the quality of their performances thus far. Mm. Uh, one of my favourite uh, comments that I saw during the Slovakia-Russian match is that uh, Slovakia has uh, the, hmm, can't use that word, uh, <laughs> that UEFA doesn't by kicking Russia out of this tournament uh, would obviously... Be surprising. I, I thought Russia would do very well at this tournament. I love Artem Zuba, but they've had a very, very big gap in between the midfield and him and are struggling to close that down. And we knew it would be difficult for them without Jugoyev and Denisov, but I, I thought they'd be much better than this. But uh, all excellent points by you guys. Uh, so that'll wrap today. Why don't you tell the folks where they can find you? Thanks for listening, guys. I've been Jim. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Jim988 and you can read my stuff on various um, perform group portals. So uh, goal.com, Soccerway, Opta, the kind of all the kind of different portals that we look after and um, normally kind of betting inspired ramblings rather than just pure football. So if that's your thing, then uh, feel free to have a read. Yeah, I've, I've been Jamie. I'm a Burnley fan. I host the Known and Ever podcast at knownandever.net. We're on a summer break at the moment, so there's not that much going on there. But I also do stuff for Perform, so the same sort of websites that Jim mentioned. You may see my name up there too. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Thanks for taking the time. Congratulations to England, and I'm sure we'll speak soon. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.